0: Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced and presented by women and gender diverse people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin Nations land and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Priya Kunjan. On today's show, we're going to be talking about gender and sport in so-called Australia, with a focus on sports commentary and the AFLW, which is the women's competition for the Australian Football League. Season 7 of the AFLW kicks off this month And with all 18 clubs represented for the first time and a new collective bargaining agreement which promises a significant increase in player salaries, there's been a lot of excitement about progression towards the full professionalization of the sport for women and gender diverse athletes. However, despite some on-field progress, issues of misogyny, underrepresentation, and a lag in cultural change across the AFL and sports media more broadly continue to negatively impact women and gender-diverse people both in the commentary space and as sports fans. To unpack some of these issues and to talk about the brilliance that is the AFLW, I'm joined by journalist Marnie Vinal and researcher Dr. Casey Simons. Marnie is a sports reporter at The Age based in Narm, Melbourne, and Casey is an academic and writer also based in Narm. She's a research fellow in the Sport Innovation Research Group at Swinburne University and is also a co founder of the women in sport collective Siren Sport.
1: I guess my journey into the academic space is really fragmented and has come not from thinking that one day I was going to be a sports academic and and look at these things in this way, but My journey has been so framed by my fandom of sport and and Aussie rules football in particular and I started out actually wanting to be a writer and and wanted to be a sports writer myself and went to university and did a writing degree and then just kind of fell into a space where I worked in industry so I worked in the AFL industry for quite a a while um, in marketing communications because it was somewhat tied to writing and being in the footy space and I just wanted to be in and I just sort of started thinking about what that meant about wanting to be included and part of something and belong somewhere that was tied to something I loved so much. So I just kept studying alongside of that because I think I describe my journey as a bit of I have a bower bird personality. I just like to collect stuff. I like to collect stories, method, style, ways to go about things. So I just kept doing different things that piqued my interest and that led to doing a PhD, which I did focus on women who are fans of elite men's sport and looking at that lived experience because there were things that I was noticing within myself in that space. And as as a woman in that space, I was noticing things that I wasn't really quite happy with and I felt quite um, marginalized by but then I also realized some toxic behaviors that I was also complicit in in keeping other women out and and I didn't really understand my own privilege in that space as, as a straight white woman coming into that space and, and not being as inclusive myself. So I had to unlearn a lot of behaviours and doing the PhD and interrogating a lot of research on, on gender behaviour and diversity inclusion in spawning spaces really helped me understand my fandom and also opened my eyes up, I think, a bit more to a world of research driven outcomes that can help challenge more sporting organizations in this space and help more people be a bit more provided with tools to understand that through research. So that's how I kind of ended up in in academia is because I just wanted to understand myself, understand the space, understand some experiences that I had had myself and had seen in other colleagues and other women in the space. And then alongside that, I also just kept writing because, again, that bowelbird sort of approach. I just wanted to write some creative writing. I do fiction writing. I do analysis. I do sports reporting um, in a freelance capacity. I created the women in sport platform, Cyrus Sport, with six other amazing women because we just wanted to keep doing that for other people too. So it's a bit of a long-winded way of saying that I just wanted to keep following my passion of sport and understanding my role in it and what I could do to also help bring other people in.
0: Yeah, awesome. And I think like sort of taking that and running with it in terms of your passion for the sport, but then turning that into critical analysis and interrogation of the way that you actually engage with it, I think is something that is often quite divorced for most people. It's like you have your sport fandom and then you have the critical work that you might do elsewhere. Marnie, did you want to take us through how you got into this?
2: I feel like it's going to be so similar, uh, especially in terms of themes to yours, Casey, but my journey to journalism and sports journalism is quite similar in that it came and was born through my fandom. uh, And I actually worked in marketing straight out of uni and very similar, just kept like tapping away at my writing. It was something that I kind of can't help, but do it's a way that I understand my thoughts and feelings and particularly my frustrations with the world. And so I was freelance writing while working as a copywriter and then I went full-time freelance for a year and then I really started to get more into the sports space in 2020. I always kind of thought my skin would be a little bit too thin for this industry, especially as a woman and as a very, like, I'm very in touch with my emotions and I'm a very sensitive person and I like that about myself, but that doesn't, always fit into this landscape uh, or is the most respected and welcomed thing in this landscape. But then I found really the AFLW community that was so supportive and very much just like, do this thing. Like, if you want to do it, just do it. Uh, And I met people like Casey and Gemma Bastiani from Siren Sport, well, the whole Siren Sport uh, collective, really, who just kind of kept pushing and making me feel like this space is for me. And I kind of felt more comfortable in my belief that I mean, I love footy, but it feels like it doesn't always love me back. And footy needs to be more inclusive for other people, not the other way around. Like I I get asked a lot, you know, how can you reconcile calling yourself a feminist and being in the AFL space and system? But it's not me that should like have to tap out. It's the space that should have to change. And as a writer and as a journalist, I love challenging the system and the culture I also like doing match reports and things like that, but my heart very much is in challenging the powers that be really when it comes to sport and finding how I can change that in like the very minute way uh, that I can, but just simply by being in the space, I can hopefully help other people also be in the space and also enjoy the game more. I still remember like so vividly a particular player who uh, he had a game off for sexual assault allegations and the commentator called it a hiccup and it was just there was no females in that commentary box at the time and so there was no understanding of like how that felt to all the women and you know other people as well non-binary people that would have to have heard that and so it's not us that have to feel excluded by the space but the other way around and I I feel like I could really do that with my journalism. And I also just love being a journalist. So it felt like a good way to combine two things that I care uh, a lot about.
0: Yeah, awesome. And I think also like what you've said about uh, it not being about having to change who you are to enjoy the sport, but the requirement for a sort of cultural shift so that everybody can feel safe engaging with and enjoying the sport rather than having to bracket off a part of themselves to do it, I think is so important. So maybe we'll go into, Marnie, um, your recent article for The Age, which is titled, If She Chucked It In, Where Would We Be? How Far Footy Has Come for Women Broadcasters, where you covered some of the very recent history of women and gender diverse people in AFL commentary and analysis. And I was hoping that you could tell us a bit more about how recently this shift's been occurring and also some of the backlash it's received, which we, of course, saw most recently being targeted at Channel 7 commentator and captain of the Melbourne Demons AFLW team, Daisy Pierce by some of her own colleagues. And um, of course, Casey, feel free to jump in at any time as well.
2: Yeah, so the piece went back to Kelly Underwood's first TV play-by-play Um, of a men's game. So she was the first female to commentate a men's game on TV, not the first female on radio, um, but the first on TV, which was a big culture shock for a lot of viewers. And they didn't respond well, I would put it politely to Kelly. And because it was such a new voice that no one had really heard in that space before. And so there was a lot of criticism. She got a lot of scrutiny. She got a lot of trolling and a lot of media criticism. So it wasn't just from people online or random fans. It was from her own industry. And I spoke to Dave Barham about this because he was the one who hired Kelly in the first place. And and also because there's this perception of, you know, she would have only got that job in the first place because she's a woman. And I really wanted to chat to Dave because I knew that that wasn't the case for him because he didn't consider it even just like a a wild move or something kind of very groundbreaking to even put her on TV. He just heard her on radio, really liked her voice, thought she would be good at it and so gave her the gig. And he said that, you know, if he had his time again, he would have done it very differently. Um, Kelly has been quite open about, not regretting that time because it has opened so many doors for herself and for others. but I think Dave being the one to hire her and put her on TV, which then sparked um, an onslaught of you know gender tirades that she still deals with today, 13 years later and he was saying that you know he would he would get more support from industry he would let industry know what was happening before he did it he would let the AFL know which is all very interesting things that I think we can still kind of unpack in today's landscape the idea that to put a woman in a space or a you know non-binary person or gender diverse person we should make that move known so that we can get support it's really fascinating concept To me, uh, because I do believe that that's like support should definitely be there. But the fact that it's still needed is very interesting to unpack in itself. And then looking from that, you know, 13 years ago. So that was in 2009 that that happened, that Kelly was first put on TV. And then 13 years later, how far we've come since when it comes to women and gender diverse people in commentary roles and broadcast roles across, across sports media. And there were some really interesting things that came out. I talked to Jess Webster, who does uh, commentary for Fox footy and ABC grandstand, Gemma Bastiani, who does commentary for ABC. Uh, Oh, and Sarah Jones, who is a host on Fox footy. And it's really interesting looking at their different perception as well, given their different, I guess, roles, you know, because Gemma is special comments, Jessica is play by play, and then Sarah Jones is host. And those a very different positions that women feel I mean one of the biggest things that I think came out of it was that we still don't have enough women or gender diverse people in play-by-play or in-game commentary so quite often we'll see them in host roles and also on like like so Friday night we have Daisy Pierce and we are so lucky to have Daisy Pierce but Friday night we have her and then you know I worked a game like a early game on Sunday that Gemma was also at and we count of three women in the entire meet like there are so many radio boxes there's boundary writing roles there's hosting roles there's so many roles we there's three of us in, in the whole space because it's still a luxury to see a woman or gender diverse person it's not an expectation it's not an assumption and it is also usually on those like Friday night games or Saturday night games but it's not the norm across the board which it shows like how much of a minority we still are and It can be really frustrating because when you say, well, there's not enough women or gender diverse people in this space, you can point to, well, you've got Daisy, you've got Abby Holmes, you've got Sarah Jones, but five or six out of how many men get these roles? Like hundreds, honestly, is is still, it's such an issue. But then when it comes to the support, that I found really interesting that I think that because more women have got into the space, other women and gender diverse people can feel more comfortable being in the space because we can reach out to each other. <laughs> if we can vent to each other, we also have to share lived experience that other people in that space just can't really understand and can't really have the frustrations. I remember my first eight press conferences this season for the men's season. I was the only woman or gender diverse person in any of the um, press conferences and I pointed that out to my colleagues and they all just shrugged like okay so like that's okay whatever but then I would like point that out to you know like like Casey over a beer or what have you and they can understand what that feels like and that it is lonely and it is something that we notice almost
0: straight away you've been listening to women on the line on your local community radio station with me Priya I've been having a conversation with sports journalist Marnie Vinyl and sports researcher and writer Casey Simons about gender dynamics, including misogyny and the underrepresentation of women and gender diverse people in Australian sports reporting and commentary. Let's head back into it.
1: So often when these issues are covered, we see historically that the issue is really pigeonholed as just, you know, and women and non-binary people are sort of put in this homogenous group when it comes to sport that they serve one role or it's one person and it's and it's one issue. But it, it's so nuanced and it's so multifaceted. And I think that's um, I guess a little bit of the progression that I see in this discussion and this issue this time around. Like, and that's not to take away from the seriousness of what happened and Daisy's experience in in receiving that backlash. But I think. What I noticed probably from my critical lens from looking at this stuff and from an academic standpoint is that the backlash has sort of moved on from probably a little bit from what Kelly would have experienced when she was the first woman to call the game, that it's not just women don't belong. get you know, We don't want to hear women, um, get women out of the commentary box. I mean, those attitudes are absolutely still there. I'm not going to deny that. But it does seem to be a conversation about the type of women that are allowed quote unquote allowed in the space and where they are quote unquote allowed to to be and when they're allowed to speak and what they're allowed to talk to. And I find that incredibly interesting. And I don't want to call that progress, but I do find it interesting that the conversation has progressed a little bit to we have an audience now that understands the layers around commentary and sport and understands the different roles that are there. So I'm I don't want to say I'm happy to see those conversations happen because I'm not but I'm happy to see that level of understanding because I think it does expose a little bit more of those issues that have probably been brushed under the carpet for so long so like Marnie's experience of being the only woman in a press conference and that just being shrugged off and people having to deal with you know sexist and racist comments and the jokes and the banter that are in those environments like the commentary boxes and on the boundaries and, and in the newsrooms when You don't have enough gender diverse people in those spaces to challenge those stereotypes of just that misogynistic language or those patriarchal structures. I think that kind of thing is coming to the fore a little bit when we're breaking down the roles that women and non-binary people are playing around the whole facet of um, sports media because we're starting to see those smaller issues been amplified. And I'm a big believer in the small issues create big issues. So I am happy to see these nuanced conversations about those quote unquote smaller issues. Like the example with Daisy was, I guess her colleagues are sort of happy to have her there and see her value, but not in the role that a man should take, I guess, or not talking to something in particular. And I think it was also very similar in a certain way to an issue we experienced earlier in the year which was around um, former Fox Sports journalist Tom Morris when he made some comments about uh, his colleague Megan Barnard and uh, essentially you know outed her publicly and, and sexualized her in a really demeaning way but if you look at that language I guess a bit more closely and it is horrific it's very different from the language we would have seen in the past that you know completely takes a woman and does just sexualize her and she absolutely was in this context but I think the understanding from the person who said those things was he was trying to give her quote-unquote compliment and he was said that she was really good at her job and he really liked her and I think in the past we would have completely written that off as not a problem because it wasn't your outward aggression And I think the conversation has moved forward to identify that that is still highly problematic, makes women and non-binary people feel completely unsafe and unsupported in their workplace and is not okay. These are conversations I do not think we would have had probably even five years ago. So talking about, you know, progression in that space, I do see progression there. It's still bringing to light some pretty ugly stuff, which is really unpleasant to, to read and hear and see. But I think it's important we just keep talking about these things and keep driving those conversations. And I'm so grateful for the work that Marnie does in a really public-facing way by putting these articles out because I can only imagine how taxing it is sometimes to keep pushing that stuff and having to fight your editors to get that space in the the newspaper and, and keep talking to these people. But, you know, this stuff doesn't just peak and go away. It is there all the time. So we just need to keep bringing this stuff to light, even as uncomfortable as it may be because it is driving change and it is making people see that these quote unquote small comments and issues really do pervade all levels of society and create these huge problems for us that hold us back.
2: Yeah, and I also just wanted to add, I think a very important part of this when it comes to progression is that it's mostly just white women that we're seeing in hosting and broadcasting in roles. And even when I wrote my piece, uh, I was on a pretty tight deadline, but even so I was racking my brain for my networks of a you know person of color that I could ask about and what their experience is like. And the only people that I interviewed were white women um, at the end. So you know, I added in a line that, just explain well just noted that we're seeing so many fewer people of color but like that is an inadequate analysis that I gave to the piece that's like something that like I you know if I had more time I wish I could do better because that that's a voice that's missing there and when we do talk about the progression it's it's white women that are getting um through the door first I remember speaking to like Rana Hussain I did a piece for her from the Saturday paper ages ago you know and she was saying that like yeah white women get shoehorned in first and when you've got like a a footy panel they're like well we gotta get a woman in here otherwise it's not gonna look good like it's, it's always a a white woman who gets that that role um and Shelley where for another piece that I did once explained to me that a lot of First Nations people get hold into doing the Dreamtime match or doing yakai footy and they don't get jobs on mainstream media. And I think that that's just a really important point to note that I didn't earlier. So I just wanted to jump in.
0: No, definitely. And I think um, I also wanted to go from there into uh, the discussion about AFLW season seven, because some of that commentary around Daisy was You know, about the experience that she had and how that may not be reflective. You know, her player experience uh, might not be reflective in the same way as a a cis man presenting who had been, you know, a multiple premiership winner or or, or whatever. And so I'm thinking about now that we're coming up to season seven, there's a new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, You know, we're working towards the full professionalization of the sport. And now that we are approaching equity and remuneration, training, development, and, you know, having all the clubs represented, and also having a whole bunch of players hitting their 50th games, how does this start, you know, pushing the conversation and influencing gender dynamics in both spectatorship and commentary? I'll jump in, I
1: guess, and talk a little bit about the the spectatorship angle um This is something I'm really passionate about. you know my research area of expertise is definitely around fandom and how fans connect to their sport, and as I mentioned earlier, that definitely comes from you know a bit of myself wanting to <laughs> be a fan and and how I you know quote unquote do fandom and the fan identity that I've created. And in my research over the last couple of years, I've been so fascinated by the growing AFLW space and the fan culture that has emerged there that has also been well established in other women's sports in Australia and across the globe as well, because I guess most women's sports have been born out of exclusion. They've been born because people have not felt welcome. They have felt marginalized and actively excluded from men's sports. And they've created their own leagues. They've created their own games. They've created their own safe spaces. And that is so rippled through these leagues that are coming through even today, even if they are supported by, you know, elite sporting organisations, that sort of core feeling is still there. And it's not a negative thing. It's an absolutely positive thing because these spaces have been, I guess, reclaimed and this sort of feeling of, you know, coming as you are and not who you should be is completely completely celebrated in these spaces and that's not always true of men's sporting spaces because the research around fandom and how fandom works is you have an identity that you need to fit into the sports fandom space dictates a certain level of behaviors and if you fall outside of that then your fandom is questioned so you try to fit in with the norm you try to adopt those behaviors and those behaviours are usually based on loyalty, so unwavering support no matter what your team or your sport or club does. That can be particularly challenging when issues arise. And I think we've seen over time that you know fans waver sometimes of long periods of unsuccessful results and they can be quite frustrated, but their love will never die. They're never going to leave. But when there are issues that come to the fore around your players who might be accused of sexual assault, when there's issues of racism and homophobia in the stands, that stuff is not seen as serious as losing. (laughs) So you just that's what you have to put up with if you want to be a fan. And if you don't want to be a fan, then leave. Don't be part of it because you mustn't be a real fan if you're not going to tolerate this stuff and stay in this space. So I've looked at some research around that and trying to sort of understand some fan stories of People who have walked away from the sports and the teams that they love because of these issues. And if we look at the research, they would be deemed as not an authentic fan because they haven't conformed to those fan behaviours. So they're not a real fan. They left. And what I found in the AFLW space, and I know this is true of other women's sports too, but my research has only really focused on AFLW so far, is I've found these fans who will tell these stories of coming back. And the concept of coming back is not a fan narrative. Because you always ask, well, why did you leave? Because you're not a real fan if you left. But these fans will talk about how, you know, they felt unsafe, unsupported, unwelcome in the men's space. They left for a certain amount of time and they came back to the A4W space because they could see selves represented on the field and that's definitely true for a lot of queer supporters who felt their own bodies and their own sense of self replicated back to them that they felt they could support. They left their clubs particularly during the time of the um, really horrific same-sex marriage plebiscite in Australia and they changed teams so they could find a team that was active in that space and promoted that and they could feel that their clubs supported who they were. Now if we were to look at traditional fan research that would code them as a you know a quote-unquote bad fan but what I'm trying to do in my research is show these behaviors that come back to the fundamentals of fandom of love for your sport and staying no matter what but this means staying in a different way because these fans haven't left the sport they love they've been able to renegotiate their fandom in a way that means something more to them and allows them to support the sport they love in a way that supports them and who they are and that is very unique uh, fan space that we see in women's sports that is not as replicated back in men's sports. So. I think that is such an amazing thing that the AFLW has been able to create. And I see a lot of talk every now and then when we're looking at the growth of the AFLW and some other women's sports about how they need to sort of replicate what the men's code is doing and it needs to get to this level that the men's at to be successful. And I just think that is not the way to go that you know, really most men's sports should be looking at women's sports for indicators of success. It should be going the other way because there's so many good things happening over there that should change what's happening in the men's sporting space. But also it just serves a whole other audience that doesn't want anything to do with that space but is still, I would contest, equal fans or sometimes even more fans for what they've had to live through their fandom experiences in order to reclaim their fandom.
2: I'm a pretty emotional person listening to some of that Casey. I was just like, yeah, <laughs> if I could lean in, I could cry right now. Like I do feel like the women's space is such a like almost a sanctuary for a lot of us to just be who we are. And a lot of people to just like come as they are. And, and it's not questions and they can find each other in this space. And it's really wonderful. And at the same time, be like really passionate sports fans like I I don't think I would be in sports if it wasn't for AFLW just because I feel beaten down by the men's space so frequently and like I obviously still love it like even now I feel like I have to defend that statement
0: that's all we've got time for today on women on the line In today's show, I got to speak with Marnie Vinyl and Dr. Casey Simons about gender discrimination and representation in Australian sports media and about the importance of the AFLW as an inclusive sports fandom. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender diverse people in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on unceded Kulin Nation's land. Women on the Line is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. And this is made possible with funding support from the community broadcasting foundation our show's theme music is by ripley Kavara, and past programs can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line i'm priya kunjan and tune in to women on the line next week on your local community radio station we'll catch you then